Here's a little fun fact. Did you know that for over five years, I taught thousands of people at hundreds of different events, both in person and online, how to grow their businesses. And I did this for Google. And now I want to do it for you. I'm offering up some special complimentary coaching opportunities for a few lucky wise squirrels. Visit wisequirrels.com slash coaching. Welcome to Wise Squirrels, the podcast for late diagnosed adults with ADHD. I'm Dave Delaney. A quick reminder, the content provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice or diagnosis or treatment. I am not a medical professional. Far from it. So always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider regarding any medical condition. Of course, this includes ADHD. Reliance on any information provided by this podcast is solely at your own risk. But folks, go talk to your doctor. Today, I'm speaking with Berkeley Gardner, who is an ADHD coach for college students and adults. Uh, you can find Berkeley at berkeleygardnercoaching.com. We began by talking about her own experiences with ADHD as it applies to not just her, but also to her extended family. She made some great recommendations for an app, some note-taking ideas and templates or templates. Uh, it's a Canadian thing. We talk about time blindness, careers, college life, and she also talks about why she doesn't like the term neurotypical. And I'm also curious if that's something that irks you too. I, I can see where she's coming from about it. And I encourage you to visit wisequirrels.com or just click the link in the show notes here and leave an audio comment or a question. And I'll make sure to include you in an upcoming episode. I'd like to hear from you. All right. So as I mentioned, I started the conversation by speaking with Berkeley about her own experiences with ADHD. I do. But, yeah, yeah, I have it. My husband has it and my son has it. We all have different flavors of it, but right. I don't think I really knew I had it. I just knew things were a little different <laughs> yeah. for me. So um, yeah, so my son, um, Luke, was diagnosed when he was five. He was, you know, the typical, incredibly hyperactive child in kindergarten. And so at the time, you know, when you have a young child who is having trouble behaving, mm. at first as a parent, you think, oh, gosh, you know, I I'm having trouble parenting and, and managing the situation. We need to get him some help. And then it ultimately, once he was diagnosed and we decided which way to go as far as treatment was, that turned into more of he feels so terrible about himself because he can't control, like he'll, he'll, he'll do something without thinking and then get in trouble for it and be surprised that he's in trouble because he didn't intend to do, <laughs> to mm. do this. And so, um, yeah. And so it was, it's been a long, long road. Um, he's doing great now, but I think he will forever have his different challenges, um, at least academically because mm -hmm. e everyone has different challenges, right? Some people it's organization, some people it's, um, time it's or it's all of the above time management, but for him, I think it's mostly school. 
And for you, because you, you were teaching in middle school and, and you did a little high school as well. T- tell me a little bit about that experience and how that worked for you and how that kind of led you uh, to do what you're doing now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So my background, I taught in middle school and then um, took some time off when I had my children and then went back and was working one on one with individuals more as like an academic coach. And I realized that the kids who had ADHD every session was just basically putting out the fire, whatever was the most urgent, what they had to to attend to Mm. were content based. And I realized that these kids needed more, they needed more coaching. They needed more support outside of the academic realm. And so um, that's when I left and spent a couple of years getting certified as an ADHD coach. And then, and then realized my love was really more for working with college students and adults Mm. Um, because they have more of the buy-in because when the kids are younger, they don't really, I mean, they're, they're not dying to work on things cause they, it's not as interesting. <laughs> right. Sure. Sure. What are some of the struggles that you're seeing in college, uh, per, you know, as it pertains to ADHD, because, you know, on my last, uh, or, or one of the last episodes I spoke with, uh, Peter Shankman, who's, who's, you know, oh, love Peter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Peter's awesome. Uh, and, and you know, he spoke sort of uh, not bashing, but kind of poorly about the education system. And I think a lot of people, you know, I'm married to a teacher, so I have to tread lightly here. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, schools were designed. He, I mean, I, he was talking about like classroom layout of desks and how that was laid out that way, because back in the day, they, they didn't have enough classrooms uh, for all the kids. So they were positioned that way. But now we have much bigger schools and different formats, but that classroom kind of setting of desk after desk after desk in a row and having to sit mm-hmm. at the desk and not move, that kind of thing has has remained. And, um, you know, to some extent, possibly in some colleges as well. So yeah, what are, what are some of those challenges you're seeing? Yeah, no, he's right. I mean, schools are not designed for the ADHD brain. And, mm. um, you know, definitely hands-on more experiential learning is definitely better for someone with ADHD. But what I see pervasively with all of my students that I work with is number one is navigating the student portal. So whether it's Blackboard or Moodle or Canvas or or whatever they're using, Mm. um, it's knowing, and they're all digital natives, but it's, it's knowing kind of what is due when and all the professors, no one is consistent. So one professor might put their syllabus <laughs> under the syllabus tab and another one might put it in a folder named files and they have to tab down, 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 down to figure out where things are. And for the ADHD brain, working memory is not strong. So it's so tedious for them to find what they need that they get discouraged or frustrated, they might not be aware of this. And so then they just kind of avoid and they kind of wing it and then are surprised, oh, I didn't know this was due, even though the teacher really tried hard to to put it out there mm. so they could find it. That makes a lot of sense. And that actually resonates with me as well with my kids in their school because, yeah, it's the same thing. It's There's an app and then there's a website and then there's Google Classroom or Google Docs. And and yeah, not all the teachers. It's almost It almost seems to me that the problem is that the teachers are not all using the system consistently. Like, and, and so because there's all these different ways or softwares or platforms or what have you, that, you know, regardless of, of who the student is, even, you know, neurotypical student could also 
find that challenging as well, I'm sure. Oh, hands down, absolutely. And so you've got and you've got different ages of for of teachers, right? So you've got the the definitely non-digital natives who are, you know, let's just say aging out of teaching mm. and they don't want it, they don't want to use it at all. So mm. they do the very bare minimum and then you've got kind of across the board. So with so the lack of consistency makes it really tough for these kids. And then the other thing is just kind of the the estimation of time, right? So they might they might think they think things take longer than they do, so they avoid, and then they sh- feel terrible about themselves when it only took ten minutes, mm. or or they, you know, a project that's the time horizon is really far out, like a big project might be due in a couple months. It, they because we don't feel that pressure and that urgency, then we procrastinate as a strategy to give ourselves that you know, um, dopamine mm-hmm. to, to get it going. And so it's harder for them to, uh, to manage and plan and get it going. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's the same. I mean, you know, that's the same, whether it's a, a, a college report or whether, you know, obviously with an emphasis for why squirrels with, you know, for late diagnosed adults like myself, yeah. um, uh, you know, but it's the same thing at work. You have projects that are coming up soon and you have ones that are later and it's the same sort of idea of, of like kind of procrastinating on that late thing. Cause you, you know, it's way months away, as you said, like a couple months, let's say, um, do you have like specific strategies that, that seem to work well? I know everybody, you know, folks with ADHD, everybody's different and operate differently, but there are some commonalities. Do you, have you found strategies that help to work with, with, that kind of threat of procrastinating. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, um, accountability with another individual mm. is really, really helpful for most people, but this becomes like this tricky, you know, tightrope to walk because if you let's just say you communicated with your manager and said, Hey, can you give me, you know, some arbitrary deadlines or can we kind of break it down into smaller pieces so I can, um, know what to turn in when, because it'll help me stay motivated. You know, some managers get that and they're, and they're willing to help. And then others, you know, might see it as a sign of weakness or apathy or laziness. And, um, and so as far as strategies go, um, definitely accountability with other people. There's a great app called focus mate, which helps with, um, body doubling, which is like co-working, somebody mirroring what you're doing that, that really helps. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, there's obviously a million different apps for time management. And, but I think the key also for someone with ADHD is knowing that what you might try that works now, whether it's a planner, an app or whatever it may be, your brain eventually is going to become bored with that and you're going to need to change it up. And it doesn't mean that you failed. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, you know, oh gosh, I've done it again. I'm not being consistent. We are consistently inconsistent and that's okay because mm-hmm. our brain always needs change and novelty and, and then in some areas of our life, it's a huge strength. It, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking about it in my own, my own way too, because yeah, I do get bored of, you know, and it's especially annoying for myself because like with a, like a CRM, like a customer relationship management mm-hmm. software, you know, it takes a lot of time 
to get a CRM configured the way you want it. And then when you get bored of it, uh, <laughs> it's, or if you stop using it, then it just completely fails. And to then pick it up and start all over again with another CRM, it's like, it's, it's kind of the reason why I kind of just abandoned CRMs altogether. One thing I was I was speaking with another uh, uh, person about uh, a doctor. We were talking about the um, uh, the struggles with the supply of medi- yeah. of medication. And one thing that t- talking back to college a little bit is I, my underst- my understanding is that a lot of college kids are getting their hands on whatever you know the drug is Adderall or what have you. Um, and initially I always kind of thought of this as, you know, they're getting their hands on it because it's a party drug or it helps them stay up late, you know, studying and, and things like that. But I think my, my understanding from, from a couple different discussions with folks is that part of the problem is that a lot of college kids haven't been, who have ADHD, haven't been diagnosed. And then because they get their hands on these, uh, illegal drugs, uh, illegal meaning illegally, they're getting their hands on it without a prescription. They try it. And for those who do have ADHD, whoa, like it actually works. Um, Mm -hmm. And when in reality, had they been diagnosed and and prescribed something, you know, it could have, it could have helped a whole lot sooner and, and not affected the, the supply. Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it definitely is a, a pervasive problem. Um, like when my son went to college, I was like, you have it's a felony if you share, you know, mm-hmm. if you give any of your friends any of the any of this medication. Um, the kids who t- who have ADHD typically don't want to take the meds because they feel muted, even though it helps them. They mm-hmm. just the what I found is they t- they don't really love to have to take the meds. But those who, you know, and I don't know if I can speak if I have actually, you know, facts or research based, Mm. um, behind the kids who are undiagnosed, but taking the meds. Mm. Um, I think that for, for a lot of them, it's, you know, they're under a a huge amount of pressure. And so the stress, then they take a friend's medication, they Mm. can knock out a paper, you know, quickly and they think it's all magic, but yeah, yeah, there's a huge risks for that as well, as you know. Yeah. What are some of the other uh, struggles that you see with college-aged folks in college life and, and maybe also preparing for graduation and what, what happens next career-wise oh, yeah. and paying those student loans, God forbid? <laughs> I think, yeah, seriously, I think, um, you know, some, this is going to be a direct answer, but um, a lot of college students, when they decide a major, they, they go with, okay, what's going to make me the most money or what's going to, you know, they don't typically, not typically, they don't always go with what's interesting to them. And they, and that's like the, my biggest encouragement would be for any kid, whatever you're studying, make sure that it's something that you're interested in mm. or that can, can that has, um, change novelty within it. Um, mm. look at where your strengths lie. Look at what, um, because if you don't have, if you're not interested, if you're going into finance or accounting or whatever it is, and just because you think it'll help you and you'll make money, but you're not you know, incredibly interested in it, it's going to be really hard down the road. And so, um, as far as planning ahead, you know, they are not, we are not good at foreseeing what's coming down the pipe. And Mm. so other people will tell us, you know, you might want to think about this, might want to think about that. Um, but we're very much, 
one gift is we're very much sometimes in the moment, right? I'm here, I'm with, and so thinking ahead, um, so really using the, the resources on campus, um, the career center, talking to people out in the world, like hopping on LinkedIn, reaching out to people saying, hey, can I talk to you for five minutes about what you do? What do you like about what, what you know, what's hard about it? Um, you know, I always advise that. And then as far as other struggles, um, it, it can be so many things. It's, you know, it's balancing the social and the academic. Um, a lot of my clients really dislike reading because working, as I said about working memory, you know, you read a couple of lines and let's say you've read like four sentences and then all of a sudden you forgot what the first sentence was about and you have to kind of, it's like a back and forth. And so, um, so I always say, you know, using whatever technology, if you can listen to it aloud, if you can speed it up because our brains sometimes want to, want to hear the words faster. Mm-hmm. So we don't lose our focus. Um, and it's interesting. I talked to someone earlier today, a client, and he was saying, he, this is an adult, and he was saying he had like five different monitors. Mm. So it's kind of like old school, like us, we could have all these papers out on our desk. We could, so rather than flipping back and forth, we can kind of see them all in front of us. And mm. that was, that was helpful to him to have, uh, not to have to tab, you know, back and forth, but to have it all readily in front of him. It's a good strategy. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to reading, do you have any tips on that besides, like, you know, getting the audiobook? Because there may not be audiobooks available, or, or especially a lot of the older audiobooks are like they mm-hmm. they've got the teacher from Ferris Bueller doing <laughs> doing the voiceover, <laughs> you know, oh, it's so and it's like. So like falling asleep. Uh, so are, are, do you have any strategies for improving uh, reading skills? Well, wow, that's like, I could talk all day about that. Um, mm. It is so hard. Um, there is a, and I'm not, there's a website called learningally.org and, and it was a company that was created initially um, for blind and deaf students. Um, and so a lot of the things they were creating literature that was in Braille and now they've done it to really help um, all sorts of individuals with, dif- with different learning styles. Mm. Um, they have a lot of audiobooks that way, but um, as far as, you know, as far as reading goes for the kid to, you know, the typical read the intro, look at all the things in bold, look at the, the end of the chapter where they have a summary mm. Um the, the kind of pre-reading, kind of knowing what am I getting ready to read about, kind of knowing the big picture, because a lot of times we can get into the trees, but mm. we don't see the big picture. Yeah. And so knowing, hey, what is the big picture I'm, I'm supposed to get away, walk away with from this? Um, and then, you know, seeing if you can get other people to, to talk it through with you. And, and not just, I would say with the audio thing, don't just listen. You've got to listen and read it together, but mm. you also have to know what works for you. So just because one of your friends says, hey, with ADHD says, hey, definitely should listen to it. If you zone out, then you're, that doesn't work for you. <laughs> yeah. So That's a good idea. I, and I like the idea of a book club too. Like, you know, even, even a book partnership of, uh, you know, somebody else who's reading the same book, uh, is, is a great idea. Cause then you can, you can talk through things. I know. My, yeah. Myself, 
I've always struggled with uh, with reading in the sense, not so much comprehension, but just, yeah, my mind wanders or, yeah, and I, I keep reading and, and realize I haven't read anything. One thing that I've started doing, or, or I've been doing for years now, is, you know, and I was diagnosed this year with ADHD. So this is like, <laughs> it's pretty- Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah at 50. Uh, so- um, but I, I really, Congratulations. thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a huge revelation. I'm like, Oh, okay. So much makes sense now. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I, I read a lot of nonfiction books. So as I'm reading, like if I'm reading an actual physical book, I'll mark the heck out of it with a pen and I'll underline anything that stands out to me or add an asterisk or add a note on the pages. Um, mm-hmm. and then what I do after reading the book is I write, a blog post summarizing those takeaways. So I'll, I'll write a blog post. If I enjoy the book, I'll write a blog post. And if I have the time and I'll, I'll use those excerpts from the underlined portions in, in the blog post. And so mm-hmm. I, what I do with that then is I use that blog post. First of all, there's the, the Google juice aspect of it, which is nice for SEO for my website. People discover my oh, yeah. me because they're, they're They find that blog post, but then also I use the blog post to provide value to my readers. Um, I use it to network with the author cause I'll send it to the author to let them know how much I enjoyed the book. Um, cool. and then I also use it most importantly, by doing this and transcribing the notes, it helps me retain the information. Oh, hands down. Yeah, handwriting. Mm. Um, and most of these kids, especially in college, they don't want, they all resist that the actual physical book. They're like, oh, I've got it online. I don't need it. Mm. But, you know, and, and us being old school, like being able to actually highlight, to, to, to write down. And that's probably what you're saying is also kind of back to the um, the Cornell note taking where you, you know, you take notes on the right side of the page. There's templates online anyone can grab, but you take the notes on the right side of the page. At the bottom, you would write a summary. So this could be from the lecture that you listened to, or it could be from the book that you read. And then on the left-hand side, the narrower column, you would put the keywords that mm. you can then just look at, cover up the right-hand side of the page to then look at, and then test yourself if you can answer the questions. Oh, that's great. That's smart. I like that a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And I, I do something similar. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I know we were talking about podcasts, uh, before recording today. Uh, one thing I do with pod- with audiobooks, like if you're using like, uh, you know, uh, audible, for example, um, mm-hmm. there's way there's places to bookmark, uh, within the app itself as you're listening, but with most podcasting apps don't have that. So another thing I do is I take screenshots of the podcast player that shows the timeline and the episode uh, information so that I return to those images in my phone later and then we'll rewind the podcast or fast forward to that section and then transcribe whatever it was that stood out to me that the guest or the host of the podcast said um, just to return back to that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've, I've found doing that has also 
been helpful just because like what's the point of reading something like a nonfiction book <laughs> what's the point of reading something to learn from and and not learn anything you know I, my right. my wife like god bless her i love her obviously she's my wife uh <laughs> but she's a she's a librarian and a, and a teacher so she goes through like she burns through fiction she reads a ton of fiction um mm-hmm. but i'll ask her like you know what some of the books are about and she she doesn't remember like the the main things in the books and and i mean she does but not in every book that we talk about so anyway it's interesting getting back to the the note-taking thing another thing i do is if i do actually have a, a like a kindle uh paperwhite and in the kindle app you can also highlight sections or words or whatever um mm-hmm. but then you can also export those export that document as a pdf to your email oh yeah so then you at least have a digital uh point to refer back to as well but yeah writing by hand is always better in my opinion no it is it's hard to these these young kiddos mm. it's hard for them to like buy into what we old folks <laughs> are trying to, <laughs> to encourage them to do but um you know, and I also like with, with, um, professors will have YouTube videos mm. that they need to watch. And sometimes, you know, I always encourage them like not only to, to change the speed of what they're listening to, to where it works best for them, but to also, if there's the possibility to see the transcript mm-hmm. that, that definitely pull up the transcript. Cause sometimes you can kind of, depending on your reading skill, but, um, kind of scan through it for the information that you need. But also I like your idea of taking the screenshots because even like the videos um, the teachers make where you might have to might be tested on it later or the info, like it's just to take the screenshots of whatever visuals they're using within that video. If they don't have like a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. Company it. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a great idea. So you've been, you've been coaching and working with adults with ADHD for you know more than 25 years. So how how has things changed in in you know from from back then to to now as far as strategies and and and, and teaching people how to yeah how to how to cope with with ADHD well i think what's fascinating to me is that sorry i'm not directly answering it quite yet but is that it's still such a and like a quote unquote new field. Mm. So while I have been like working with students for that long, um, it hasn't been necessarily as a specific as a coach. Cause I worked, you know, within a school system. Mm. Um, and so the coaching piece, the change that I see is just the, the self-awareness to understand what exactly is ADHD. There's more of a conversation now that it's a neurological difference. It's not something we're choosing, that our motivation is not from importance. It's, you know, from urgency or interest or intrigue or um, competition. And for people to really start to understand why their brain is doing what it's doing and to give themselves, you know, the grace and forgiveness that this is who I am. You know, I'm not, I'm not choosing to be distracted. I'm not choosing to, to procrastinate because I'm lazy or don't care. Hmm. Um, and so I think it, it's still a pretty new field. I mean, I had someone who I met recently who's incredibly successful. Is like juggling like four different deal, an adult. He's juggling like four different deals, super creative, outside of the box thinker. And as an adult, you know, he was diagnosed in high school, but as an adult decided, I don't want to take my meds anymore. I don't like the way I feel. 
Mm. And and now is realizing how it's impacting him. Um, so he's got the 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 bonus of what ADHD brings to him, his creativity, entrepreneurial spirit, but yet the day-to-day admin planning, time management, all that is really a struggle for him. Mm. And especially now that he's not taking his meds, but not that everybody has to take meds, but yeah. anyway, but it's, I, I didn't even directly answer your question um, as how has things changed. I just know that um, as much as things have changed, things are still just like the educational system. There's a lot that's still the same and teachers, mm. you know, are, are doing underpaid under, as you know, as yeah. with your wife yeah. underpaid, undervalued, um, mm. trying to manage too many things. And the kid with ADHD can consume a lot of energy and focus from the teacher. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, difficult, but it's, it is interesting to, to, to speak with, with folks like yourself and, and learn. Yeah. That, that it is something relatively, I mean, it's not new, it's been around forever, but, but something being diagnosed more frequently. Um, I've, I've always, I'm from Canada originally. And so moving, Mm -hmm. moving to the States, uh, 16 years ago, I, you know, I would meet American friends and, and, and family and, and, and everybody was on a prescription for something. And, and, <laughs> and I'm like, I was hell bent against ever getting on a prescribed anything. And it was so funny because I would go to like a doctor, like a, my fi- a, annual physical and, and the doctor would ask you or the nurse or whomever would ask, you know, what are you, what prescriptions are you on? And I'd say, well, none. And they'd mm-hmm. say, yeah, but like what, what, medications <laughs> like what drugs are you taking like what medications and i'm like well, I, i'm not taking any like i take vitamins <laughs> and they're always like wait really like and you're 48 and 49 and and, and now i'm on something i'm like dang it man <laughs> i came so far um but i i do yeah i i do uh, appreciate the 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 value of of, of meds and it's something that i'm i'm on at the time of this recording i'm on my fourth month of medication, but I've been experimenting with different doses and different medications as well. So trying sure. to trying to find the thing that works best. Let's talk a little bit about time blindness, you know, something uh, that comes up, it seems to come up a fair amount. And uh, tell us a little bit about that and, and maybe some, some ideas around, you know, how to strategize. Sure. Yeah. I mean, time blindness, um, we, can't estimate how like we don't feel the passing of time like a neuro well, I hate the word neurotypical but we'll say neurotypical mm. um you know one thing I love that people don't have anymore are like analog clocks mm. they have digital clocks everywhere but the analog clock helps us see you know the passing of time better um there is something called a time timer which is great I think it started in like for school you know, elementary school age children, but it can be used by anyone. And it's, um, it's not with numbers. It's like, it has like a, like a pie shape kind of thing. Like, so it's, the time is eating away at the, the pieces of the pie. Ah. So you can kind of, so you can kind of see it and it can kind of give you that built in time pressure, like feeling like, Oh gosh, I only have, you can set it for however long and then you can see it eating away at the, at the pie and, hmm. um, and that, yeah, so that can be helpful, but for, for other, for some people, however, it can induce too much anxiety. And so 
I say, well, definitely don't do that if it if that's going to make you feel that way. Mm. Um, but time blindness, yeah, the you know the time horizon is is kind of flat. It's like now or not now, like as um, Ned Hollowell would say. Um, so we're very much in the moment. We can't estimate how long something might take. We therefore, you know, there will be people who will run late all the time. They will think the shower only takes them five minutes. So uh, I do one exercise that I know. Um, I was trained on that younger kids can do, but adults can do as well is, is to do an experiment. And so where you, you can just write down, like take a shower, take empty the dishwasher, do a load of laundry, whatever it may be. And you estimate, you put down how long you think it's going to take. And then you start to time yourself on all of, all of these Mm. different things. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of get a, get a good feel for, okay, how much am I off? Am I off? Like, Am I, am I underestimating by 30%? And go, so if that's the case, then going forward, and then and then this is like sounds kind of too easy, but going forward, you can kind of apply that to a lot of things. Granted, there are tasks that you might not know how long it's going to take you because you don't know what kind of problem you're going to encounter as you get into the the thick of it. But No, but that's a great, that's such a great idea, I think. Uh, and I, I, it's definitely something I'm going to, I'm going to try as well because yeah, I, I, I don't tend to be late for things. I think I've, I've existed this long with, mm-hmm. with ADHD that I've realized that like, if I have an appointment to meet somebody, I will, I'll show up like 30 minutes, even an hour early and I won't show up at their, like, let's say their office. I, I mean, I'm not annoying that way. Uh, <laughs> and I'm also, I'm also mindful that if I, if it's a coffee meeting, oftentimes the person I'm meeting, uh, and I've done this myself, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll block and have like three back-to-back coffee meetings. So I won't show up oh, early yeah. in case the, the, they have somebody else there. Um, but yeah, I'm very, I'm, I'm very anal when it comes to, to punctuality, basically and trying to be on time for things. So, but I love right. the idea of writing things down and actually, because you're right, like so many things take much longer and, and in some cases much shorter than, than we mm-hmm. really think. And I think the shorter thing even helps getting back to procrastination, what we were talking about earlier, because if you realize, Oh wait, you know, this, putting the dishes away in the dishwasher actually only took me like three minutes and I was procrastinating real, you know, thinking it's going to take me like an hour. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I guess it goes both ways too. It does. And, and gamifying it, put on a song. Okay. To, you know, challenge yourself by the end of the song, I'm going to have done a, B or C. Yeah. Um, anything you can do to make it a little bit more interesting. Yeah. The, somebody created a website during the pandemic, during the, uh, kind of peak of the the pandemic at the very beginning, really, or not at the beginning mm-hmm. about, um, cause like the, the, the advice of course was to like sing happy birthday twice, oh. I think while you were washing your hands okay. and somebody yeah. created a website where you could look up any song and it would give you the amount of lyrics that would be long enough. So you could, so if you didn't want to sing happy birthday, you could sing like whatever your favorite song is. <laughs> it was just a awesome. yeah, hokey kind of nerdy idea, which I thought was really, really clever. Um, you mentioned your, your distaste of the term neurotypical. Uh, tell me about that. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting. We, it kind of goes back to 
like who decided what is neurotypical? Mm. And there's such a there's such a um, there's such an emphasis right now on respect for like d- racial diversity, um, diversity in anything, but mm. neurodiversity. There is not this overarching respect for the mm. way if people think differently or view things differently. Um, and I think that's a huge opportunity, I would say, in our country and in, in the world. But it's a huge opportunity for all of us to start to uh, I don't even know how you would define or typical because everybody's got something right. Maybe we're not, <laughs> we're not all medicated on it. Right. But so I, I, uh, I think I have this distaste for the word neurotypical because it just makes it sound like right and wrong. Like you're either neurotypical, which which just has a positive, you know, connotation mm. and it's right and it's good. And then anything not neurotypical is negative off. Yeah. Weird. You know, you got to fix that. And I don't, you know, I think, I don't know if you've ever read the ADHD Advantage, um, but one of the – in it um, just talks about that if we – like if you think about if, – if anyone listening to this does not prescribe to the, the theory of evolution, but then <laughs> you can just disregard what I'm saying. But, um, <laughs> but you know, through evolution, if, if ADHD – any of these conditions, if, if they weren't needed, if they weren't something that we were, that was useful, then they would have, we would have evolved to not have them. Hmm. And so like we think about like hunters and gatherers, like the hunters are like hyper focused on the hunt. I'm going to get this animal. I am going to. So I'm not saying they're ADHD or not the hunter or the gatherer. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, the skill of hyper focus, super valuable, super important. Um, I don't know. I'm just, yeah, no, it makes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, that absolutely makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I, I've been curious about, you know, since my own diagnosis, I've been, I've been curious, like I'll, I'll be checking out at the grocery store and I'll be like, Oh my gosh, this person totally has ADHD, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Um, and, and I, I think it's, I was speaking to someone recently about, like, uh, what's well, kind of like the analogy of like when you buy a, a new car and, and you think like, Oh, the color and the brand of your car is so special. And then as soon as you drive it off the lot, you start seeing there, it, it, the same car is everywhere, you know? And I know the number it's on your website. It's on my website, which is 8 million adults are affected by ADHD. Uh, that's an estimate, but I'm, cu- mm-hmm. I, I would be curious, like how, yeah, how to find out, like, how do you do a focus group, just any focus group where you want like half to, to, to have ADHD and then the other half not, how do you know that that other half don't have ADHD? I mean, they may not be, they may be undiagnosed, but like, how do you have a secure, like, a, <laughs> does this make yeah. a, a, does this make any sense of where I'm going with this? Um, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts to that. It's kind of interesting. I don't know what you were saying about the car and the color. There's like, I saw some real, it was interesting. It was like talking about the reticular activating system in our brain. And we, and, cause our brain is always looking for patterns and organizing things and mm. patterns. Mm. And so therefore we look for corroborating evidence or so if you hear the word like onomatopoeia, all of a sudden you like, you're paying more attention to like, whenever you hear that word again, or you see the blue car and you see blue cars everywhere. Yeah. Um, my thought is 
if you if there's something that's really greatly impacting you and your your mental health, this is why women are so often misdiagnosed because they're told they're just anxious because they're 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 trying to overcompensate for their for their ADHD, so they become extremely anxious. Um, I don't even know where I'm going with this, this no, conversation, no. but yeah. but but um, you know, I think if if the treatment helps the person, yeah, reduces the anxiety, alleviates depression, then what is wrong with that? That's that's kind of my question. Unless it leads to you know addiction or whatever. I mean, there's I don't want to even go down that 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 track that train of thought <laughs> about addiction because there's a lot of people who say, oh. ADHD drugs are addictive. Don't put them on that. But the, the thing is, the the people who are unmedicated are the ones that are more likely to self-medicate with those, you know, illicit drugs. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a fascinating space. I mean, just for for myself personally, just, you know, certainly with, with the medication aspect as well, but also, you know, just... Yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting. You talked about the D, uh, DSM five for for those who are not familiar. Mm-hmm. What what is the DSM five? Oh, um, I and I am not a physician, so I will not describe yeah. this accurately. But it's yeah, yeah, the, yeah, it's the book. You know, it's the fifth version of like the doctor's statistical manual that shows you. That's probably not what it's called, but anyway, it shows you all of the diagnoses and what what is required for what you have to see or measure for it. For that to be a diagnosis. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to hyperactivity, um, you know, one thing that I've actually, I was reading, um, I think it was your brain's not broken and, mm-hmm. uh, and Tamara's going to be joining, me, joining me on the podcast. Oh. So I'm ex- excited to talk to her. Um, but in the, I think it was in that book where she talked about like hyperactivity in adults is, is different. So, you know, I'll talk to people and they'll, they'll say like other adult friends and they'll say like, you know, I think I have ADHD, but I'm not hyperactive. So I probably Mm. don't. And, and what I've learned is that a lot of the, the hyperactivity, like it's uh, adults have learned to cope and, and reuse or use hyperactivity in different ways. And so instead, a lot of it is internal, um, and and also so instead of like the kid who's physically hyperactive, um, and all the you know things that you would you would think that when when I say that, but with an adult, as I'm reading the book, I'm like, oh my god, like I chew my lips all the time, oh, yeah, <laughs> um, or, or chew the inside of my mouth. I, I believe it's called stim- stiming or stimming, stimming. Um, stimming. Yeah. Um, another thing I do, which is it sounds really weird and kind of creepy. Uh, but, <laughs> um, I feel like if I have a soft, soft t-shirt, I kind of feel the fabric of the shirt, Yeah. but I do that like always under, like I do it under a table. Like if we're mm-hmm. like, you know, like I do it so that it's not obvious that I'm or clear. Cause it would just look so weird, but you know, and my wife laughs when I do it because I mean we've talked about it a bunch, but um, but I understand that that is another kind of hyperactive. Uh, so but it's also do you know that it's interesting because there are actually these tactile um, strips like Velcro that you you could put under a kid's desk that they can feel, mm. and all of this is 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 our 
we're looking for sensory feedback to keep our brain stimulated, like to keep us able to focus, to mm. be awake, to be dialed in. And so when these teachers or people are saying, don't doodle when you're listening or don't, you know, quit tapping your foot or quit doing this. Well, this is all of us trying to keep our brain engaged. It's actually this, this strategy we don't realize we're doing. Mm. Um, so yeah. So whether it's like picking at something or rubbing something or chewing something, um, yeah. Are there other yeah. other other examples of that where you've you, where you know adults have to handle their hyperactivity? Like, I like the idea of like the the Velcro strip under a desk for for a child. Um, yeah. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know it's funny. <laughs> it's funny because even though I do this on a daily basis, there are certain things that my husband does, and like I'm like, oh, now I know why he's always like tapping his foot when we're like at the movies and it's driving me crazy because the seats he's moving my seat or, yeah. you know, he has, has to have everything out on the table because he'll forget if he does, if it's not visible. But I mean, other, other things that people do that's for sensory feedback. I mean, it's, there's just so many things. It's also things that they don't like, like more sensitive to textures, whether it's the tag in their shirt or, or eating. Ooh, eating's a big one. Mm. So my kid, my 21 year old, he'd absolutely, his, his wife one day is going to absolutely hate me. <laughs> <laughs> she, she is going to say, why does he not eat any vegetables? Why does he, you know, he's such a picky eater. Yeah. And, um, all of this, you know, is really related to the sensory input. Like, so not liking certain textures of foods, not liking certain way things, certain things smell, or even um, misophonia with like certain noises or hypersensitive to mm. all of this can kind of be in conjunction with ADHD is so fascinating. Yeah. Um, and so the, 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 the goal, the, the key is to be self-aware if this is something you struggle with to not beat yourself up about it, you know, figure out what are the triggers and then what can you do, you know, to, to alleviate whether it's a, a stressor or whether your brain's falling asleep and you need to rub your t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Oh, this is great. This is, this is really helpful and I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. Are there any questions or, or topics that maybe I didn't ask you about or something, anything else that you, you would like to share before we, uh, before I mean, the, we only other thing, the only other thing I'd love to share is, um, because, so many of my clients just feel such shame mm. having ADHD is this like inner conversation you can have with yourself. So like you've got your mind, which are your values, and your character strengths, and you've got your brain, which is you know, your neurological automated like reactions to things that when you do something that you're not happy with, like if you procrastinate, if you suddenly get distracted or whatever it is to really have almost like this, you know, inner conversation, like, hello, like acknowledging, hello, brain, I know this is what you're doing. I understand why. But my intention right now is A, B or C to really just try to respect that this is not who you are. This is just part of you. And this is like the way the direction your brain wants to go. Mm. But that but this isn't who you are. It's not your character. It's not your values. It's so um, really trying to respect the brain that you have. Don't, you know, yeah. beating ourselves up isn't going to help. And then, um, and, and really trying to focus on the positives because we get so stuck in ruminating and negative thinking. So, yeah, no, that's really, on your gifts. yes, yes. This is really, this has been great, Berkeley. How can, how can people get a hold of you and learn more about what you do? 
Yeah, thanks, Dave. It's been great to be here. Um, my website is berkeleygardnercoaching.com. And Berkeley with three E's because living in California, they couldn't even spell my name. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I work with a lot of college students and adults and um, really love it. So yeah, thanks for having me here. Yeah, thank you. This has been fun. Thanks for listening to Why Squirrels. I'm Dave Delaney. The music to the show is Unyielding Conditioning by the one and only Fishbone. And you can find that song and all of Fishbone's music wherever you stream music. We thank them for this. We love Fishbone. Are you a wise squirrel? Visit wisequirrels.com to find out. And let's keep the conversation going. I'll see you there. Yeah.